Are you an accredited investor looking for a new opportunity to generate passive income and build the retirement of your dreams? Then elevate your investment game with Viking Capital, where wealth meets wisdom. Whether you're a seasoned investor or just starting out, Viking Capital can help guide you towards financial freedom through passive real estate investing. With strong and transparent underwriting, Viking identifies low-risk opportunities with the goal of preserving investor capital and maximizing long-term growth potential. And their accessible and responsive investor relations team will help you understand how each investment will impact your unique financial goals. With $800 million in assets acquired, more than $230 million in equity raised, and more than 5,000 units under management, Viking Capital is your path to early retirement. To learn about Viking Capital's latest investment opportunity, which is available for you right now, visit go.vikingcapllc.com forward slash best. That's go.vikingcapllc.com forward slash best to get started today. Did you know that within a decade, women will hold $30 trillion in investable assets? Yet somehow, only 19% of women reported feeling confident in selecting investments that align with their long-term goals. Our friends at InvestHer are out to change that. InvestHerCon is the number one premier conference for women in real estate, and it's happening June 2nd through the 4th in Austin, Texas. InvestHerCon is not just another real estate conference. It's a transformational experience focused on real estate investing, business strategies, and self-care tactics all designed to help women take control of their financial futures. Gain the knowledge and skills you need to grow your portfolio and build a sustainable business, all while connecting with over 500 women who are playing at the same level. To learn more and to get your tickets, visit InvestHerCon.com today and use the code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. That's InvestHer, H-E-R, Con.com, Promo code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. Quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. For more information, go to bestevershow.com. Take smart, calculated risks. When you think you've done enough analysis, take some action because you can certainly sit there and, and overthink and that's when you find yourself standing still instead of acting. Welcome to the Best Ever Show, the world's longest running daily commercial real estate podcast. Our hosts interview commercial real estate experts every day to get you the best advice ever with none of the fluffy stuff. Best ever listeners, welcome to the Best Real Estate Investing Advice Ever Show. I'm Slocum Reed and I'm here with David Cruz Palmer. David is joining us from Charlottesville, Virginia. He's a principal at Corridor Capital Partners, a value-add industrial real estate investment company. They currently have over 500,000 square feet in industrial and flex warehouses in Virginia and are expanding currently into Florida. David, can you tell us a little bit more about your background and what you're currently focused on? Sure. I was initially a commercial real estate broker. Worked in San Francisco, helped lots of companies find their office space, negotiate leases, evaluate markets, and negotiate with landlords. So I did that for about 15 years and parlayed that into investing in commercial properties. So had a lot of experience, you know, a lot of that term translated into things that would be valuable for investing. So I put investments together for myself and for my investment partners to syndications. I'll find the properties, I'll negotiate on them. I'll raise capital from investors and go through the whole syndication process of finding debt, 
the right debt, matching that up, and then coordinating all the vendors for PCAs and phase ones and, and all that. And then I'll run the asset and do asset management as well. Sounds like you're a one-stop shop as a general partner. Are you doing everything? Yeah, we're vertically integrated. We, how big is your team? We've got five people. Nice. Yeah, maybe that's a stretch. That includes virtual assistants. I've got a couple of virtual assistants, and then I've got two other people who work with me every day. Gotcha. Cool. I work with virtual assistants as well. To varying degrees of success, they are varyingly capable of completing some tasks. But also super valuable when, when it works out, right? Yes, when it works out. So you were a tenant agent for office space in San Francisco, and you said that parlayed into what is now industrial investing in Virginia. That doesn't sound to me and probably most of our investors like a natural segue. Where did that come about that you went from West Coast to East Coast and you went from office to industrial? Yeah. So I grew up in Winchester, Virginia. I live in Charlottesville now and uh, went to San Francisco right out of college because you want to go to the West Coast. The the draw and the allure of the West Coast is the best coast. You got Steph Curry, you got the Pacific Ocean, all that's really appealing stuff when you're 22 years old. So I found my way out there, found my way into commercial brokerage as tenant rep commercial brokerage. And I sort of hear what you're saying. How does that translate I did mostly office and industrial and a really common lease structure in San Francisco. They have, I don't know if you've been south of market or Soma has been the hottest market since the dot-com bubble. And what that was, was a bunch of these sort of flex warehouse buildings that have roll-up doors and high ceilings and great natural light, but they were built for like auto mechanics or parking garages and all these things. And they were converted into really cool offices, but as a result, they maintained this lease structure called industrial gross. And what that lease structure was, was common for industrial tenants historically versus a full service gross lease for office tenants. So even when you have tech tenants that are using it for office space, they still have an industrial lease. And the real differentiator is that it didn't include utilities or janitorial. For some reason, that was a carve out that was relevant to differentiate between industrial and office space in San Francisco. So Lots of companies evaluate different markets around the country. And to answer your question about how does that even translate, you're only helping tenants, you don't really understand landlords. And I agree, there were some hurdles and things I had to learn and overcome. But I actually think that I'm uniquely positioned to understand the dynamics of a market from a tenant's perspective. And I think that's really valuable for identifying real estate that where tenants are either captive because they can't move anywhere or a supply constrained market or to understand the variability in different rents or the quality of different products. Because you can look at a class B or a class C building and compare it to class A. And you can look at the different rent differentials and the expenses are all the same and the rents the same. And usually in, in a recession, there's a flight to quality for office because the rents go down. Why wouldn't you go to a nicer building? So From an investment perspective, I think that's the main reason why I chose industrial real estate is because there's a 3% vacancy rate, 3 to 4%, depending on where you look. You can drop a pin in the map anywhere in the United States, and there's an extreme shortage of industrial space. Both flex warehouse industrial, which is like the light industrial that you have your auto mechanics or people who are storing mattresses or air conditioner, HVAC vendors, there's not enough space for those people to serve these growing populations, all the multifamily, if you think about all the multifamily growth and all of the residential growth and the shortage of housing, that's such a hot asset class. 
you need people to service that. And that's primarily what you get on a flex warehouse. And then for industrial, there's logistics centers. Everyone says Amazon's a canary in the coal mine, but Amazon's doing pretty well. They're actually getting rid of their really old warehouses that are under a certain size and under a certain age. And then they're looking to develop their own new facilities. And all of those are a million square feet plus. And that's because there's a shortage of new high bay, meaning like high ceiling height warehouse space. So they're building to their new specs. So I like industrial a lot because there's just such a shortage and the tenants don't really have anywhere to go. So if you can find a market that has that same vacancy rate and some good products and some good tenants, then the hypothesis is that with five to 15 year average leases for industrial properties, you should be able to get some really quality tenants because there's more demand than there is supply. David, the majority of our guests on the Best Ever podcast and the majority of our listeners are involved in apartment syndication, which is the point of comparison that we often make to other investment strategies and other commercial real estate asset classes. That said, we do have, with some frequency, industrial and warehouse investors on the podcast. Every one of them references uh, drastic under supply. They talk about dropping a pin in a map in the Midwest and in other less trendy parts of the country where industrial has been more prominent and is likely to return and talking about how there's a potential for large gains in the future as we reindustrialize the United States. That being said, with there being an under supply, what does it take to have a competitive advantage as an industrial and flex warehouse landlord specific to acquisitions? What is it that gives a warehouse investor a competitive advantage over other investors? So, so is the question more along the lines of why would one warehouse investor be able to find and operate a property better than another one, given that there's such a shortage of supply? Is that the question? We'll get back to the show with a first some sponsors I'm confident you'll find value in learning more about. Are you a real estate investor looking to break into the multifamily investing space? Have you heard of MFIN Con happening in Charlotte, North Carolina, June 12th through the 14th? The Multifamily Investor Nation Convention is a place to learn from over 60 high-level apartment investors while networking with more than 700 additional investors. If that's not enough for you, A-Rod, yep, Alex Rodriguez, 12-time Major League Baseball All-Star with over $700 million of commercial real estate assets, will be live and in person speaking at the event. Also speaking is the one and only Dr. Robert Cialdini, the godfather of influence and the award-winning author. I personally love his books. So be sure to secure your tickets to this live in-person event before they're gone. Go to MFINCon.com for more details. Sponsorship opportunities are also available. Visit MFINCON.com today. Use the promo code BESTEVER to get $200 off your tickets. That's MFINCON.com. Everyone is looking for a recession-resilient investment. How can you try to prevent prevent from losing money by picking the wrong fund and sponsor? Right now, you can get Reliant Real Estate Management's free guide, 10 Things to Consider in a Real Estate Investment Fund, by visiting besteverreliant.com. Answer questions like, is the organization's focus on you? And does the fund keep employees? Reliant Real Estate Management is ranked one of the top 20 largest self-storage operators in the country with $1 billion in self-storage assets. After completing three funds, 
and selling 38 properties with $0 of investor principal loss. They have an average project level IRR of 33% in just over 3.5 years. Visit besteverreliant.com right now to receive the 10 things to consider in a real estate investment fund and get access to their latest investment opportunities. That's besteverreliant.com, B-E-S-T-E-V-E-R-R-E-L-I-A-N-T.com. We have low supply. We have high demand. Yeah. Therefore, typically prices rise. And that wouldn't just be for tenants needing to pay higher rent to get a, a quality space, but also for the investors looking to purchase in that space as well. What I'm envisioning is that we're experiencing an appreciating market for warehouse, particularly flex space and smaller. Well, I've heard that high bay or tall bay demand is even higher. How does someone who wants to get into warehouse investing generate a competitive advantage that allows them to identify and also purchase good deals and then get them leased competitively? Yeah. So I guess I can only talk about what I know and what my strategies are. My current strategies are based on my knowledge of what you can do in a supply constrained market and what options there are with the lease structures. So one of the things that I do is I'll do what I call a triple net conversion. So you've probably heard of triple net leases. Um, they're common in retail and they're also common in industrial. So all that, I assume you know, but just in case there's one listener who doesn't. It just means that with a triple net lease, the tenant pays all of the expenses. So the utilities, the taxes, the insurance, janitorial, and many of the costs required to run the property. So even the property manager. So that gets passed along. And then there are variations on triple nets, but that's the essence of a triple net lease. But there are lots of leases that are not triple net in structure. So the landlord is paying one or all of those expenses. So the properties that I look at and the ways that I create value for, for my investors is by identifying properties that have a gross lease in place in a triple net market. So rents have increased in some markets 20% year over year for the past three years, and they're anticipated to continue in some of these markets. So if you have a tenant that signed a five-year lease or a 10-year lease, and they're two or three years from the end of that lease expiration date, and they have nowhere else to go, or there are other tenants that want that space. And I'm thinking of like larger spaces or larger quality tenants. There's a property I know that's along a major highway with a railroad and there's a Fortune 500 tenant in it. It's that kind of example, right? And they need to be there. Their lease is expiring in 24 months. You usually start negotiating about 12 to 18 months before the lease expiration date. So you know where that tenant's mind is and so you have plenty of time to start evaluating the market and seeing if there are other tenants. And that's a leverage point that you can use against that tenant. So these are some of the tactics that having been a broker in San Francisco, not the hardest market right now for office space, but you better believe that there is a 10 to 12 year run of just incredibly competitive demand for office space where there wasn't nearly enough. And so much of that was driven by all of the money that has been pumped into venture capital and all successes and all of the wealth that was created there. And so there's this amazing ecosystem where Two guys start a company, they go to Y Combinator, they get $110,000. Next thing, they get $3 million. They need 3,500 square feet for 18 months. 18 months later, they need 10,000 square feet. So there's a model that I've seen on how to deal with tenants in a supply-constrained market. And so 
that's what I've been employing with the tenants that I have in my markets. And it's not to beat them up. It's a partnership and it's a long-term partnership. So you don't want to just hit them with this hammer where you jack their rents up 60% and then say, also on top of that, I'm going to give you a triple net lease where you're going to be paying an additional 25% because a lot of times the triple net expenses can equal somewhere between 15 and 25% of the gross income. But it's definitely a balance where you're trying to get the optimal returns that are as close to market as possible for your investors. And also you, you don't want to have an angry tenant for 10 years who's just looking for a reason to leave when the lease expires. And then the other answer I would give is I look for a lot of creative deals, especially right now in this market, especially with 7% interest and maybe rising right for the rates. And if you can get a seller to do some version of seller financing, that makes the equity multiple a lot higher. It's something that's really common in multifamily, single family investing. It's not as common in commercial for some reason or industrial. And so I'm really pushing, I reach out to sellers directly and try and structure these deals instead of just going to the market to use a lot of the, the wholesaler tactics for finding my investment properties, contact, contacting sellers directly. And then what benefits my investors is one of the equity multiples that you get. If you only have to put 10 or 15% down, you get a 15 to 25% seller carry. That really does a lot for your equity multiples after you buy that seller out. And then one thing that I think a lot about is what that does for depreciation. I call it the depreciation multiple, right? So if you're only putting 10 or 15% down the value, say it's a $10 million property, and it has 25% bonus depreciation from the value of the five and 15 year depreciable assets, that value isn't going to change because the property was still worth $10 million and the building still had its depreciable value. So while we're still in 2022 and we've got 100% bonus depreciation next year, we'll have 80%, but that 10 or 15% as it relates to the depreciation loss that you can take is significant compared to putting down 25 or 35%. So that's the kind of thing that I try to do to differentiate is put together creative deals with some variation of seller financing. So that helps my investors a lot. Also industrial as opposed to multifamily doesn't have nearly the same value of depreciable assets. We just, we don't have carpets. We don't have all of those things. A lot of times it's just warehouses and curb cuts and drains and things. There's a lot of landscaping, but it's not as much on the inside of the property. David, specific to your own investing, it sounds like you've given me three answers here. When it comes to competitive advantages, not necessarily a generic, what can someone do? But the three answers that you gave me, the first Going back to your experience of understanding a supply constrained market and the leverage available to those with the supply in such a market, that is something that you've been able to use your experience to your advantage over other investors and in understanding what kinds of returns are going to be possible with your acquisitions in today's market. You talked about what I'm going to call here a market inefficiency. The opportunity to recognize when a property is, for example, gross leased in a net lease area or a net lease environment, and especially with rent growth, the opportunities to increase returns as the investor in decreasing your expenses by going from a gross lease to a net lease to make the property behave more like the market norms. The third example you gave here is that you try to go direct to seller. In particular, how that gives you an advantage is that it's given you the ability to negotiate lower down payment deal structures, meaning that your equity multiples are higher for your investors, the people bring capital to your deals, 
and also that the tax advantages are amplified by the fact that they are based on the purchase price and not on the amount of money brought to the table. So even in an asset class where there is constrained opportunity to purchase, those are the three things that you've been able to do to make sure that your deals continue to produce. Am I catching that correctly? Yeah, I think that was incredibly well rephrased. Well, you gave me a lot of good content to work off of. Thank you for that, David. Are you ready for our best ever lightning round? Yeah, let's fire away. <laughs> awesome. What is the best ever book you've recently read? Constantly reading Think and Grow Rich. I'll go with that. Probably read it seven times now. I'm a fan. Yeah, Napoleon Hill has a few good books. Yeah. What is your best ever way to give back? I donate to local charities as my revenues go. Make sure I give back to the local communities where I live and also where we invest in our properties. David, what is the biggest mistake you've made in your warehouse investing thus far? And what was the best ever lesson that resulted from it? I think the funny thing is I'm constantly the bottleneck. I've learned that time and again. I have to say it with humility because every time I feel like I'm up against a wall, anytime you, you put yourself out there and try and do something, there's something in the way and it's constantly me. And I've learned over time to when I don't know what the next step is, you know, people say, take the next step, take one step. You can always see one step ahead and then you'll figure out what the one is after that. And I, and I, I don't know if I totally agree with that. Sometimes you don't know what the next step is, but what I've learned from that bottleneck from being the bottleneck is that you have to take a step because you can't stand still. Can't stand still on a moving train. So you got to take that step and then learn to respond. That's what I've learned from you. On that note, David, what is your best ever advice? Probably similar to that. Take smart, calculated risks. When you think you've done enough analysis, take some action because you can certainly sit there and, and overthink. And that's when you find yourself standing still instead of acting. Last question, David, where can people get in touch with you? Most active on LinkedIn, David Cruz Palmer on LinkedIn, or you can find me at David at corridorcapitalpartners.com. Those links are available in the show notes. Best ever listeners, thank you for tuning in. If you've gained value from this conversation about how to beat the market in warehouse investing, please do subscribe to our show. Leave us a five-star review and share this episode with a friend who you know is interested in warehouse investing. Thank you and have a best ever day. Thank you all.